Peel, and we will begin here in a, in a minute or so. I'm joined uh, this morning by Christina Cahill. Are you um, able to hear me okay, Christina? Hi, Rosemary. You sound great. Wonderful. Thank you. And Nancy, have you joined us this morning? Yes, I have, Rosemary. Wonderful. How are things in Orlando? How's the weather? Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I bet. Well, hopefully it'll be really a great conference. All right. Well, we do have a, a few announcements before we get started this morning. Today's overview is presented by Nancy LeMaster, Chair of the Hospital ISM Business Survey Committee. As a reminder, our call today is being recorded. This is a live teleconference, and so we ask that everyone please mute your line until the end of the call to prevent any background noise. And then um, also the next hospital PMI release of the August report will be released on Friday, September 8th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. I would like to thank everyone uh, for joining the Institute for Supply Management today for the release of the hospital ISM report on business. Um, I'd like to ask now, are there any reporters on the line that know they will have a question for Nancy today at the end of her presentation? This is Paul Lee. I'll have a question. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Anyone else? Very good. Thank you, Tam. All right. Well, it does look like um, everyone has joined us, so I will now turn the call over to Nancy LeMaster, Chair of the Hospital ISM Business Survey Committee. And please, uh, Nancy, go ahead with your overview of this month's report. Thank you, Rosemary. So let's take a look at July. Um, the PMI itself uh, grew and grew a little bit faster in the month. We're at 53.3 versus 51.5. But we saw some real shifts uh, in some of the additional indicators. Uh, the biggest one being that business activity actually came in at 49, moving it into the contracting range, a drop of 8%. Um, and that was, was a bit surprising. We're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more. Um, new orders came in strong at 53, just down slightly from 53.5. Backlog of orders um, grew dramatically. So it grew um, from 44.5 in contracting to 55.5 uh, in growth. Um, and our employment also moved from contracting to growth at 52.5. So let's talk about kind of what's going on with activity um, and why does July look the way it does. So um, in looking at the comments, as well as um, talking with some of the other folks in the industry, as well as um, looking at the reports from some of the device manufacturers, the hip, knees, um, spines, as well as the um, cardiovascular uh, market. I think that what we really saw in July was relative to June, we saw a drop off in volume. But nobody thinks that this is a trend or there is concern on an ongoing basis. It's been really interesting how the healthcare market has changed over the years. Summer used to be a really busy time for electives. Um, people, you know, maybe were going to take vacation and have procedures done during the summer. Um, and the last quarter of the year used to be slow. That is completely reversed over the past few years. So we tend to see a slowdown in the summer 
with the exception of pediatric procedures, which will often will spike then because uh, the kids are out of school. Um, but generally a slowdown in electives in the summer and the fourth quarter is usually now the strongest volume of the year. So um, from what <coughs> I can tell, um, we don't think the business <coughs> drop will be an ongoing concern. Obviously next month we'll tell the story, um, but we did see a relative drop. Backlog of orders really boomeranged up the other way. Um, and there wasn't a lot of comment. There were some comments about vacations, uh, employee vacations, maybe having an impact. Um, again, when I look at the, um, the reports coming out of the, the supplier side, when they're, they're forecasting their volume, um, many of them are increasing forecasts. Um, that they're seeing continued carryover demand, as well as these are areas that we, an we anticipate seeing strong demand by virtue of the aging population. So um, those kind of indicators suggest that we're going to be okay on the volume front going forward. Not quite as good a, a story on the supplier delivery side and the back order side of the, of the house. The supplier deliveries um, moved back into the slowing phase. They, they big jump, 11% from 47.5 to 58.5. So that was a big swing. Um, although that um, the providers are still saying that they're contracting their inventory, 43.5 versus 46, <coughs> and their inventory sentiment continues to be too high, but that slowed down at 58.5. So some context around that. Um, we are, saw quite a few comments this month about ongoing shortages with the uh, resin products in particular, more back orders. There was a lot of, of concern in the report. The results came in before the UPS strike was uh, averted. So there was the beginning of some contingency planning, um, even though inventory levels remained in the contracting um, number-wise and, and were actually contracting a little bit faster, there were uh, comments about maybe strategically um, bumping some stock um, in concern about that uh, pending strike um, with the uh, touchless orders. We also saw that move into contracting range. And so, you know, it's always a little hard on the supplier delivery metric to know if, if that speed alone or if the impact of all the back orders and substitutions are, are playing a role in, in that number. But definitely our hospital provider panelists were feeling a little bit more pain in July than they had been feeling in terms of getting the products they wanted, getting them um, you know, delivered quickly and not having to deal with a lot of back orders. So that became a, continued to be a bit more of a problem in July than it was in June. Prices continue to be probably one of the biggest uh, challenges facing hospitals right now. Uh, I was reading um, with some of the uh, Kaufman Hall and um, some of the others that follow 
with the rating agencies looking at hospitals and, and hospital margins, et cetera, continue to be a problem. And what in uh, the Kaufman Hall report, they had said that as we've reduced the number of traveling nurses, uh, more and more hospitals are filling their clinical positions with permanent employees. The, the increase of the labor cost as a percent of revenue has, uh, has slowed down. That increase has slowed down. It's starting to stabilize. Where it is not slowing down is the, is the non-labor, which takes into account supplies. And you can see that here in, in all of the pricing, general pricing increasing faster at 64 versus 60.5, pharmaceuticals increasing faster, 62.5 versus 60, so the supply breakout itself, 65.5 versus 61.5. So when we kept, I keep talking about looking at the manufacturing report, seeing all these positive indicators with prices going down, it is not translating over into finished goods at this point at all. I'd really hope to see in July maybe a continuance of that number going down or increasing at a slower rate, not happening. So what that is doing is putting a lot of pressure on the supply chain people to look at ways to reduce costs. Um, and when I look at the reports coming out of, like I said, I primarily focus on the, the high-end devices, hips, knees, spines, uh, cardiac devices, pacemakers, cavers, those, that type of thing, the high-end expensive ones. Those manufacturers are still, their, their margins are very healthy, um, and they're still trying to uh, push pricing increases down on the suppliers, the hospitals. So um, that is going to be a real point of contention as we go forward. Um, as Rosemary uh, kind of indicated, I'm reporting to you today from the ARM, Association of Healthcare Resource Materials Management Conference here in Orlando. Um, the conference started at 8 o'clock this morning, so I haven't gotten a lot of good intel yet. I'm hoping, uh, I'm, this is a teaser, come back next month because I hope to gather uh, insight from a broader group than just our panelists. Um, but the, the things that I was hearing in the brief time I've had to chat with people, one, reinforcing that we don't think the uh, volume dip in July is is a trend, um, and two, the concern that part of the things that we talked about making some fundamental changes as a result of COVID, which was we need to invest in domestic manufacturing and buying domestic products, even if they're slightly higher priced on each for our long-term risk management. Um, looking at, at things, kind of trying to move beyond just the unit cost to total cost of ownership, there is concern that there's going to be pressure back the other way. We don't seem to learn much from uh, our, our uh, emergencies. We kind of make some corrections and then we go back to our old ways of, of focusing on price, price, price. And so there is some concern about that happening um, at this point. Hope to learn more about that, but high prices, a lot of focus on reducing supply costs. We'll see how that plays out as we go forward. Case mix index 
uh, continued to grow up around 53. That's kind of, in my mind, where I expect it to be if we've got a pretty good mix of, of elective and what I call non-elective medicine cases in-house. Days payable outstanding, contracted, that, you know, that flips around. The comments I usually see around that have to do with uh, sometimes staffing. You know, if they've got a good staffing, they're working those down, depending on um, when a hospital's fiscal year is, they try and work that down. But we've seen that metric flip a lot, back and forth, back and forth. The other uh, metric I hope to get some additional insight on is technology spend. It continues to grow, 52.5 in spite of margin pressure. We've talked about the fact that hospitals are continuing to invest, although they're shifting those investments somewhat from bricks and mortar to more either IT or equipment. Um, Intuitive is the company that makes the Da Vinci robot. Uh, they're report out indicated the placement of robots uh, was up the past quarter, but they did note that a higher percentage of those placements were lease arrangements versus purchasing arrangements. Um, so that could have uh, some bearing on the capital uh, position. Those are a couple of the things that since I have the opportunity to be here at the ARM conference, I'm going to try and get some additional insight. What's going on with technology spend and more of a long-term focus? Um, and, and what do we see in terms of strategy related to improving hospital margin and getting those supply costs, which is supply cost as a percent of revenue, um, back in line after this long, long period of month after month uh, price increases. So that's kind of a, a, a picture of what July looked like. Um, Paul, I think you were the first one to say that you had a question. Oh, yes, thank you, Nancy. Um, so the UPS strike, that was, um, I believe, quite a, a big area of concern for the hospitals. Is there anything else on the horizon that might be impacting supply chain in the coming months? Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping to have a, a broader answer to your question after I get a little more input this month. There's nothing in the report, per se, that talked a lot about that. I mean, I think that what I picked up in terms of um, chatting with a few people yesterday as people started to arrive is um, there's, I think, concern about finding the right balance in a post-COVID world of inventory levels, kind of the, you know, we, we went all the way from kind of just-in-time to stuffed warehouses. We're working that inventory back down, but what is the right balance going forward so that What's the buffer level for, you know, whether it's UPS or FedEx or a raw material shortage in China and the pressure for short-term cost reduction? So how do we not get ourselves too lean again but respond to this? So I think that was the, the um, discussion I heard last night at the, you know, kind of the opening reception. Um, 
along with a, a lot of discussion about talent, um, recruitment, growth, and retention, particularly of the supply chain people. Obviously, we're at a supply chain conference. Um, I was really shocked this morning when they asked the raise hands the number of first-time people here. And I can tell just looking at the ages of the people here that a, a real concern <clears throat> is um, that we're going to we're seeing an accelerated rate of retirement and do we have that next level of talent up to speed to deal with some of the complex challenges related to supply and demand right now. So those are the two things I've picked up so far. Um, like I said, I'm going to encourage everybody to tune in next month. I've got three days here with these folks and I'm hoping to harvest a lot of good nuggets to share with you. Thank you, Kathy. Dan, what's on your, what have you got um, that you're thinking about today? Hi, Nancy, good morning. Um, there's a, uh, a lot of attention, as you know, as we've discussed on the pharmaceutical supply chain, and I think it made news in the last week or so, there was a, a bill in the Senate was being taken up uh, about in, you know trying to increase domestic production. Um, I guess it's a good time, especially since you're there, a, a, a good uh, time to kind of take a helicopter view of the pharmaceutical supply chain. And especially, um, you know, if there was anything in the last couple of reports or, you know, any trends um, regarding that, um, yeah, you know, the, so, I'll tell you a couple of things that I've, I've heard about just, you know, in the last 24 hours, I guess, um, has been absolutely push on some domestic, especially generic drugs. Uh, the group Premier, the group purchasing organization, I think Vizient also has a strategy where they're trying to uh, work with their members to lock in guarantees around purchasing volume to get these companies stable, you know, to get them up and stable. And, you know, that's one of the things I worry about if we, if we kind of boomerang back to only focusing on if I can save two cents, move the, move the business, um, you know, we can't do that. And, and the shortages in pharmaceuticals are always bad and they're worse now than they have been. So I think that that um, that will be the segment of the supply chain that probably will do a, a better job than some of the uh, medical supply on locking in and um, committing to some domestic production. I think you know one of the challenges with that is that many of the raw materials still have to come from China and India. And, and that's a continued worry about that. But I think that there's a lot of focus on that. I think there's also focus on the fact of, you know, kind of how do we either incense or penalize pharmaceutical companies from this practice that's been going on over the last few years of buying up and then shutting down production of, of various drugs so they create a sole source situation where they can then significantly raise prices. Um, and, um, you know, there's the, the back and forth 
between the pharmaceutical companies who have extremely strong lobbying and a lot of money in Washington and regulations and, and trying to look at um, as there have been incentives for pharmaceutical companies to invest in orphan drugs, drugs that treat a small number of people, you know, is there more we need to do to incent both domestic production and production of some of these key generic drugs? I mean, you know, I'm sure you've all seen in the press the shortage of basic generic chemotherapy for cancer treatment. Um, you know, those kind of things are, are very, very worrisome. And I don't think there's a single answer. I think it's going to be a multi-pronged answer to try and um, increase that supply. Um, that helps with comments. Yeah, and, and you talked a lot about it. I just want, I'm just going to ask because just to, you know, it's something I don't know. And um, But you, you, the report had talked about the UPS strike and how worried respondents were about that. Um, and it, it generated a lot more comments than it did in the other uh, in the other two reports. I mean, did, does the medical uh, community rely on UPS maybe a little bit more inordinately than other businesses? Um, I just thought I, I just thought that was really interesting that there were a lot of comments on that. Yeah. So there's two ways. I'm going to oversimplify, but there's two ways that hospitals procure their supplies. The, the basic, less intense supplies, think general nursing, again, I'm oversimplifying, but just think general nursing supplies, come in most often from a distributor. And the distributors themselves either have or contract with companies like Ryder to, to take the products from the warehouse to the hospital. But they, in turn, get a lot of their products via UPS and FedEx. So that, that's one issue. But your, your, your procedural level supplies almost always come in through UPS or FedEx. And they, they come in direct. The manufacturer sends them direct to the hospital. They don't go through that distribution channel. So I think that, you know, is heightening awareness. But I think more than anything, the hospital sector is so uh, living with the aftermath of COVID and that, that feeling of, of lack of control of being able to get the supplies they need that kind of any whisper of something that might disrupt that chain is causing them to react much quicker because, you know, it's so fresh in their minds. Like, you know, people saying it, you know, I don't want to be in that situation where, you know, we're just kind of running every which way trying to find product. So I think it's made them more sensitive and more proactive because they're, they're the ones right at that, as we call it, the tip of the spear in front of the clinician saying, I can get it, I can't get it. So I think it's a combination of those two things. Great, thank you. Anyone else with any questions? 